The leadership of Christ's church during the latter half of the New Testament places a strong emphasis on love and unity among the saints, persuading them on the path towards sanctification through the Spirit and the Atonement. At the heart of that message is a call for effort. As we give our all and do our best, our love for God and man will increase immeasurably. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I show love to my family and friends through kind, kind thoughts and, and words. Um, I try to tell my kids that I, that I love them and, and why I love them. I just show love by being there for them, honestly, by doing the little things, by saying good morning, by saying good night, by hugging them, just really just being there, being present, because we're with them all the time. So just, you know, being there for them and loving. I think the best way to increase the love that I have for others is by getting to know them. Um, the better you know them, then the better you're able to show that love. To increase my love for those in my life, I try to focus on their strengths instead of their weaknesses and look at how they add to my life instead of take away from it, and then I see their good. One way that I increase my love for others is by seeing them as my Heavenly Father sees them, as a child of God. It just helps me to see their inner light, helps me to love them better. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Gay Strathern. Dr. Strathern is an Associate Dean of Religious Education at BYU and has been a faculty member at the BYU Jerusalem Center. She has a PhD in religion with an emphasis on New Testament and Christian origins from Claremont Graduate University. She was born and raised in Redcliffe, Australia. Gay, welcome. Thank you, Ben. It's good to be here. And our special guest today is Brooke Romney. Brooke authors a blog entitled Brooke Romney Writes and speaks at many events, including Time Out for Women. Her latest book is called Modern Manners for Today's Teens. She's also the author of I Like Me Anyway, Embracing Imperfection, Connection, and Christ. She is the mother of four boys. Brooke, so happy to have you here. Thanks, Ben, excited to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here as well. And to the viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Please join us for further discussion online through any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we are going to discuss are increase and abound in love and the Lord loves effort. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll move on to footnotes, which is the segment of the show where we let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Gay and Brooke. Okay, so as we jump into First and Second Thessalonians, Gabe, can you give us a little bit of background and where do we find this first topic, increase and abound in love within these books? So I think we get the context, a significant amount of it from Acts 17. This is Paul's second missionary journey, um, and he goes to Thessalonica. And uh, we read in 17 verses two and three, and Paul, as his manner was, went in, to the synagogue, three Sabbath days, and reasoned with them out of the scriptures. 
opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. So we get the sense that's what he's taught. We know from Acts that some people uh, believed him in the synagogue and uh, responded to his words, but others didn't like what he was teaching at all and so started some persecutions. And so from three weeks is all that Paul had in Thessalonica before he had to leave. And I think that's really important for understanding what's in 1 Corinthians because the, his leaving caused some angst for Paul. And and so as soon as he gets away, he's thinking, how are they doing? These are guys that they've only been members of the church for three weeks mm -hmm. and they're being persecuted. Are they strong enough? And so in chapter three, he sends Timothy back to make sure how they're doing, both physically and also spiritually. Chapter three, he comes back and he reports to, to Paul that they're doing well. And it's in that context that we have verse 12. He's responding to them and saying, even though you're doing well, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and towards all men, even as we do towards you. So I think this is really important because as a small infancy church members, they needed to learn to love one another and to have that unity and coherence that is going to help them in, in spite of all these persecutions. But I think the other sense is that it's not enough for you to just love one another, that you're going to have to learn ultimately to love even the people that are persecuting you. And Brooke, uh, would you mind giving us a little background on some of the things that you do that kind of is similar to what Paul is doing and trying to increase the love that we all have for each other? Sure, yeah, I'm a writer and I'm a speaker and I really concentrate a lot on helping parents of teenagers and teenagers understand who they are and how to love each other. And so honestly, Paul has just been a great mentor in how we can do that as parents, as those who teach and lead youth, as, as friends, and also learning how to love ourselves so that we can better love each other. So this is these have been great chapters for me to really think about and ponder and put to use um, in my daily life. Can so, I add to that? Please. So, you know, the Saviour was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, ye have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. I think that's exactly what we're saying today, yeah. right? But I say unto you, he's raising the bar, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good for them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on evil and the good. And when we're talking about this word love here, in, in the New Testament, there's lots of, there's a number of different Greek words that are all translated as love. So if you're just reading the English, you don't get a sense that there are differences. But all of these passages we're talking about, the Greek word is agape. And that is specifically the, to love as God loves. It's his kind of love. This is something that we're all on a journey to try and develop in our lives. And it may seem a little easier to show love towards those that you know, but how do we show love to those that perhaps we might have some difficulties with? Well, I think it's really interesting because our world right now is telling us to X out anyone that doesn't love you the way you need to be loved or doesn't check all the boxes for being the type of friend or the type of parent or the type of sister that you, you personally need to have. And I learned a really great lesson. Um, when someone in my life was difficult and I thought, well, this is an unhealthy relationship. And pretty immediately the spirit said, this isn't an unhealthy relationship. This is a learning relationship. 
And I think it's really important for us to distinguish the two because there are unhealthy relationships that we should probably move away from. But I think more often than not, most of them are just learning relationships. And now instead of saying, oh, I, this person shouldn't be in my life, I ask Heavenly Father, what am I supposed to learn from this person being in my life? And then the relationship I have with those people that I've let stay in my life and I've worked for that relationship, um, I'm so grateful. And I would hate to have a life without them because at one point in my life, they weren't exactly who I needed them to be. And then on further self-reflection, how many people would have exed me right. out of their life <laughs> because I wasn't exactly who they needed me to be. Yeah. And I'm just, I think we need to do a lot more grace and understanding and really working. There's a reason why Heavenly Father put us in families and neighborhoods and wards. We need to become the people who are ready for those celestial relationships. And we're not gonna do that by having everybody be exactly who we're supposed to be so we never have to grow or change. Well, I'd love to hear from the audience. How do we show love towards those that we may not know very well or even have some difficulty with? Sonia. People like to be noticed, I think is the key and making an effort to notice and to um, take that time to say, I care about you. And sometimes it takes effort and trying to find something in common. I know when I really try to find something in common, it, it really does help. Brooke, what are your thoughts on, on what Sonia shared about trying to find those commonalities between other people to increase the love you have for them? The more you get to know someone, and the more you learn their story and their background and maybe even what they've been through, all of a sudden, you know, those ideas that you had about them are completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Like Sonia said, that we start with small talk, that we ask about people, that we try to build bridges instead of assuming that we have nothing in common. I think it can go a long way. Uh, we also had another comment from the audience, uh, Kershame. For me, it's much easier to love, love, love the people I don't know. It's the people that I do know that you come into conflict with sometimes. I find that stop, be patient, and then ask the question, okay, what can I do for you? I've, I've done that before and it does make me feel more love and I know that they know that I see them. Yeah, I think we get comfortable with people and we let down our social guards okay. with, with our family sometimes and respond in ways that we might not do in a public setting. And I also think the internet does that for us mm. too, because we don't think through what we're doing and we just, because we're anonymous. And so we think we can say whatever we want that in ways that we wouldn't say necessarily if we were maybe close to someone or face to face. And Brooke, you, uh, you've re recently written a book talking about some of these relationships that are affected by, by social media. Do you mind telling us a little bit about not only the book you wrote, but what was the spark behind this idea to write such a book? Um, I wrote a book for teens about modern manners. And a lot of it is about how we can relate with each other in a way that builds bridges and friendships instead of squashes them, mm -hmm. finding commonalities, um, holding a conversation, being able to do those things. But I think as Gay said, sometimes mm -hmm. we don't like people to see us really for who we are, but we have to start accepting that in ourselves and then accepting it in others. There's an idea of radical candor where you can say how you feel in a really loving way. And actually in Thessalonians, Paul does that. He talks about, I wanna use flattering words, you know, but that's actually not what you need. I need you to know that there are some really important things going on that I need to tell you about. And I love the way Paul did that because he didn't go right into, 
you know, you're a problem, this is a problem. He started with how much he loved them and how great they were and how proud he was of them and how they were on the same team. And then he went into, and there's a couple hard things I need to talk to you about. And he did it with such love. I think it's a really good um, pattern for us in our family relationships. We start with love, we're on the same team. And then we move into, well, because I know what God needs me to say and I know I need to be a parent or a teacher or whatever that is, I have to say a few hard things and I still love you. Gay, one thing I notice about Paul, one thing I love about Paul is that everything he does is so Christ-centered. How does what he is teaching them relate to what we read about in Matthew of the two great commandments that Christ teaches? So um, Paul is always going to uh, have this experience with his love of God. And how he shows that love is how he acts. He's stoned almost to death. And then the next morning he's up and he's preaching Christ and the love for others. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing he, he does because of that revelatory experience he had on the road to Damascus, it changed everything. Now he's trying to show that love rather than the sense of persecution. And Brooke, what are some of those small, simple things that we can do to increase love that we have towards all those around us? Sometimes we want to love like we see the ideal person loving, mm -hmm. like we see Paul loving, right? But it depends on where we are. And so if we can just start with small things, if that is sending a text to your mom today to just let her know how grateful you are for her. You can do something small like opening a door for someone or smiling mm -hmm. when you see someone on the street. Um, you can start small. And I think the great thing about doing good things is that we feel the spirit and it makes us want to do it more often. And so as you do that, you'll graduate from just smiling to maybe checking in on someone and from there to being a true friend. But wherever you are, you can start there and your love will grow. Heavenly Father has promised that when we do small things, they will become great. Can I jump in on there too? I, because I think that that idea of this journey is so important here as well, that yes, we start small and we're doing what we can, but we're always trying to grow that love. And I just love this, um, this statement that Prophet Joseph gives to the Relief Society sisters. And he said, the nearer we get to our Heavenly Father, the more we are disposed to look with compassion on perishing souls. We feel that we want to take them on our shoulders and cast their sins behind us. And, and when I think about that, the nearer we, we get to God, the more we're going to reach out and think about others. That makes me think, so in a relationship where I'm not feeling the love, it's, it's easy to say it's because of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But somebody that Paul is trying to get here is to say, well, hang on, maybe I need to hold up that spiritual mirror and say, am I doing things that are impeding this relationship? And what can I do rather than saying, you need to do this in order for me to love you? How about from you, Brooke? Any examples that come to your mind? Well, one of the things that I love that Gay pointed out was how Paul wants to encourage us to love the persecutors. Paul was a persecutor. Yeah. And as Paul increased in love, I think that he probably looked at those persecutors and saw himself. And what if one of those with love could become me? Mm -hmm. And it's just, we had an experience where um, there were a couple kids that did some really cruel things. And I was so angry. And I just wanted them to receive their justice. Right. And I had an experience 
where I realized that it was impeding my ability to fill the Spirit. And as my heart started to turn and wanting these boys to receive justice as in turning to God and becoming who they were really supposed to be, my heart was able to change and then I was able to fill the Spirit in my life again. And it was, it was really beautiful. And I think Paul's teaching us in these chapters, you know, stop looking at other people and wanting justice for them or wanting them to change. Who are you? How can you do it? And how can you love them to get them to where they need to be? It reminds me of First Thessalonians chapter one, when he's just introducing this, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So coming back to what Brooke is saying here, it's this idea of the importance of this. It's not enough to know the scriptures. Somewhere along the line, it's got to be the Holy Ghost is going to teach me the importance of this principle for not just my eternal life, but for my here and now type of life. And I love that it, it, it happens through such small uh, little things can, can, you know, as we learn from the Book of Mormon can bring about so many great results. Uh, we have a beautiful quote that talks about this from Anne C. Pingree. She says, we can alter the face of the earth, one family and one home at a time through charity, our small and simple acts of pure love. Charity is not an act, but a condition or state of being one becomes. Little by little, our charitable acts change our natures, define our characters, and ultimately make us women and men with the courage and commitment to say to the Lord, here am I, send me. What beautiful messages you've shared on how we can really increase and abound in love towards all those around us. Thank you all from the audience for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us. And for you at home, what efforts are you making to increase your love toward others? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. Effort means everything. Um, it shows how much I care, how much I am passionate, and how committed I am to what I'm doing. The effort you put into something shows that you love them, or that shows that you love that thing. Like that Jesus put effort into people and things because He loved them. And it's the same, same things in our lives. The more we love someone, the more we put the effort in to show them that we care. I think the Lord loves it when we put out effort towards doing His work because then he knows that we're grateful for all that he does for us and that uh, we really care. I think the Lord loves effort because it shows that we're actually committed and that we're actually invested in what he wants us to do. Oftentimes we might put in a, a lot of effort towards something and not see results immediately. But I've found uh, time and time again that if I persist, if I continue to try and do what I know I should do, and I feel motivated that that's what the Lord wants me to do, then things work out in the end. Our second topic today is the Lord loves effort. Gay, what context can you give us as we jump into this second topic from Thessalonians? So at the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians, we've got this idea that some of the, the saints had paid the ultimate price and had died from that. And that's caused some real reflection about that. And that sets up uh, 2 Thessalonians, where Paul says in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, 
neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as the day of Christ is at hand. So what's the issue here? Something is happening in Thessalonica, whether it's they've misunderstood what he said in first Thess- the first Thessalonian letter or whether somebody else is talking about that. People have died and they're saying, don't worry about it. The second coming is going to be soon. Um, when it says here, as the day of Christ is at hand, it means it's in the process of being fulfilled right now. And so there's this expectation that Christ will come next week or maybe next month or something like that. And that leads up to the verses that I think most Latter-day Saints are familiar with from, from the Thessalonian epistles. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day, the second coming, will not come except there shall be a falling way, right? So Paul's saying is Christ is coming, but there are some things that have to happen in the process. But because we've got people saying, oh, it's happening next week, they've decided, oh, well, why am I planting crops? Why do I have to work? Why do I have to do these things? Because I'm never going to be able to harvest them. And because people have stopped working, thinking this is going to happen, then that's caused some other problems, right? We read in chapter three, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. And the Greek word there means they're freeloading or they're sponging off other people, working not at all, but are busybodies. They've got way too much time on their hand. And so Paul is this question, so how do we deal with this issue? There is this really important expectation that Christ will come again. But how do we deal with that when we're not really sure when it's going to be, whether it's going to be next week or Mm -hmm. a thousand years behind it? And so what Paul is kind of giving us some guidance here is how can we prepare for the second coming when we really don't know what's going to happen? Here's the the suggestions that he gives, the guidance that he gives, which I think is just as important for us today as they were in Paul's day. Verse five of chapter three, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, there's that agape, unto the patient waiting, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. So Paul is saying here, don't be listening to all of these other people. If you're waiting for for the second coming, follow the brethren. And then in 12, Uh, Now, them that are such are command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So in other words, be responsible for looking after you and your family. And this is really important to Paul. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul has already taught them when he says, and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as you have been commanded. And for Paul, that's important because that's what he's done. Mm-hmm. He's been out and been a missionary. But in First Thessalonians, he talks about, but I have worked night and day so that I'm not going to be a financial burden on you. So that's what he's doing. And then, but ye brethren, be not weary in world doing. So we've got this idea, keep working, right? Um, do good because that's always going to be, help mm-hmm. you prepare for the coming of the, of the Lord. And Brooke, what are some of your thoughts as you work with, with teens and, and as you try to encourage them, what thoughts do you have on some of the uh, more productive things that Paul encourages? There's just a little feeling um, in our culture, whether you're adults or children, that you can't wait to work so you can stop working. Mm-hmm. Like the, the goal is to never have to work again. And I don't think it necessarily means being employed forever, but 
God gives us commandments that bring us joy and happiness. And when you see someone that loses their purpose, whether it be a kid or a teen or an adult, they don't have the same joy. And so as we think about this commandment to work, we have to know that it's because God loves us that we have that commandment. And so today, um, there's never been a time, I think in the history of the world, where you could do nothing productive and be busy all day. Right. <laughs> but with a phone and a screen, so you, could do, you could do nothing all day and never be bored. Right. And so I think it's a real challenge of our day, no matter how old you are, to be able to say, I'm putting away the things that keep me busy mm -hmm. for the things that are better. And we have a wonderful quote from Shirley Thomas talking about some of these core principles that President Kimball taught. She says, the six welfare principles stressed by President Kimball, love, work, service, stewardship, self-reliance, and consecration are the foundation stones upon which all welfare services are built. Relief Society teaches the Christ-like qualities of pure love or charity, teaches that work sustains, that service gives work its meaning, that stewardship brings accountability, and that self-reliance allows a freedom to focus on another's needs. And that consecration is to give all one has. You know, and, and I love how work leads to, to selflessness, to focusing on, on others, as Paul taught in our earlier discussion about the importance of increasing love. And a lot of that can be done through work and serving others. That's such a good point, because when we aren't engaged, anxiously engaged in good causes, the focus is all on us. And I think most of us would understand that when we do that, we're probably the least happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. I also think that as part of that spiritual development we're in as we're growing and to learning to love as God loves, that, that also takes work. Spiritual things don't come to the spiritually passive. Spiritual things come when people are actively engaged and working towards asking questions, learning. So it's a choice that each one of us has to make that we are going to find places with, or time, whether it's dedicated work to studying the scriptures or making sure that we attend church on the Sabbath because we're in a place where the Spirit can do it or going to the temple. But they're the choices that we have mm -hmm. to make in terms of this, this efforts that we're making. What can we talk about with specifically, you know, serving in the church and what Paul is trying to teach about how the Lord, he really does recognize the efforts that we put into anything that we do that is worthwhile. Well, there was a time in my life where I felt like I was working really hard in every area and falling short in every area. And it was really frustrating. Um, parenting, nutrition, my relationship with my husband, and I remember being in a yoga class and at the end they have you do affirmations. And so the teacher was saying, you know, this is an affirmation, I am, and, and you fill in the blank. And she gave us all these ideas, you know, beautiful, amazing, smart, motivated, inspiring. And I sat there on my yoga mat and I was like, no, not any of those words. And um, all of a sudden the word popped into my mind, trying. And what I realized that day was that trying is exactly what he needs us to do. When our heart is right and we're truly trying, we can't worry about the outcome, but we can have confidence in trying. And he just reminded me that trying was enough.
And I'm sure that there are many out there who, who feel a similar way. We had a question come in from one of our viewers. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Hello, I'm Justin Bola from Congo Brazzaville. And my question is, how do I know the Lord is happy with my efforts in keeping the Sabbath day holy? So he's specifically talking about the Sabbath day, but in whatever capacity, how do we know the Lord is, is happy with our efforts? How do we recognize that? Now, one of the things that I think is um, an answer is that if we're feeling the Spirit in our life, that that's God's response to us, that He is pleased with what we're doing. I'm pleased with your efforts. I'm pleased with your trying experiences. So if the Spirit is a part of our life and we're feeling that, I think that that's a great way to say, I'm on the right track. I might not be there yet, but I'm moving forward. That's great advice. Uh, Brooke, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I love, I love um, Gay's thoughts. I also think sometimes we are a little harder on ourselves than the Lord is. It depends on our personality. Some of us are looking for more excuses and others are trying so hard they feel like they'll never measure up. And so one of the things that I think is important is just to ask. If you kneel down to pray and let's say we're talking about the Sabbath day and you say, you know, how am I doing on keeping the Sabbath day holy? You'll either feel like you're doing everything you can or you'll feel a little prompting to maybe attend your full meetings. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I need you to do. And the Lord understands your heart, but you also have to be honest with yourself. In 2020, I was busy. A lot of the things that I was doing were because Heavenly Father wanted me to, mm -hmm. and I felt like I was following the Spirit. And I remember kneeling down and saying, how am I gonna do all this? Like, I have so much on my plate, how am I gonna do all this? And uh, the answer came, you have plenty of time, but you're going to have to prioritize and cut out the things that are unimportant. But I rationalized a lot of things away. Because I was doing good things, I was like, oh, I don't really have time to minister mm -hmm. like I want to. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really have time to get into the scriptures. I'll just read a verse. And the year went on and I just, I felt it. And um, at the beginning of 2021, I was actually earnest about my prayer and asked how I was supposed to do it. And I told Heavenly Father that I would give him my time. And it changed everything. He's been able to help me and magnify me and, and give me those whisperings of the Spirit that say, you know, put your phone down or this isn't important, but people are, or your deadline can be pushed back because someone needs you. And I've been so far from perfect, but I think the intent of my heart has been so much better. You know, and I love how you mentioned how you, you can just feel that. Joy D. Jones has a wonderful quote talking about how the Lord does love and recognize our efforts. She says, the Lord loves effort and effort brings rewards. We are always progressing as long as we are striving to follow the Lord. He doesn't expect perfection today. As in times past, our journey does indeed take effort, hard work and study, but our commitment to progress brings eternal rewards. I love how through our efforts, the Lord really does recognize it and, and he can show our, his love towards us. Thank you so much for, for your thoughts on our second topic of how the Lord does appreciate and love effort. And from the audience, uh, thanks for bringing such a wonderful spirit with us here today. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover from these epistles to the Thessalonians with Gay and Brooke in footnotes coming up next. One unique way that I feel like the spirit communicates with me is through people. 
So he doesn't just do it in a feeling and stuff like that. A lot of times when I'm struggling and I need the Spirit, he does it by sending people to me to help me. The Spirit communicates with me all the time uh, through thoughts, through feelings, impressions, um, through words of others. Um, it's amazing how often the Spirit communicates and in the, the different ways that I see it. The Spirit communicates with me if I am living the gospel, if I am doing the things that I should be doing, watching good media, listening to good songs. I feel like I can be in tune for the Spirit to direct me where He needs me to go. I know when I set aside time to study the Scriptures or to really pray with depth of soul, that's the times that I really feel the Spirit speaking to my soul. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about 1st and 2nd Thessalonians with Gay and Brooke. All right, well, a lot of what Paul talks about in these books is the second coming. I'd love to revisit that. Gay, can you walk us through some of the things that Paul teaches about the second coming? Yeah, I think first off, it's a really important way of reading the epistles is understanding that we're hearing just one side of a telephone conversation. Okay. And so one of the things that's really helpful is to kind of read the text and try and imagine what is happening in Thessalonica okay. that causes Paul to say this. We've already mentioned in our earlier discussion that somehow the saints are thinking that Christ is going to come soon. It's imminent. Mm -hmm. It's going to come in their time. And so if you just want to kind of follow through with me and we'll just look at these chapters. Chapter 1 uh, in First Thessalonians, verse 10, where Paul talks about to wait for his son from heaven. And then if we go to chapter 2 and we look at verse 19, are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? And the word here for coming is this word parousia. Uh, then if we look at chapter 3, verse 13, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of the saints. Again, the word parousia. Uh, chapter 4, verse 15 for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. And then in chapter 5, verse 23, uh, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've already mentioned that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's the issue, mm -hmm. right? And the word here is parousia in Greek, but that has some really important meaning, right? This is the coming of a king in his full glory. In other words, you'd never use parousia to talk about Jesus' birth in in Bethlehem, mm -hmm. but in terms of him coming as king, this is what we're, we're talking about. And so if sometimes you'll read some books and they'll just talk about the parousia. And so that's what's coming through here. One of the things that kind of put an impetus to this, we've mentioned about the persecutions that they were having. And, and that's because some of the, the saints, those saints in Thessalonica, Paul has heard, have died in the mm. persecutions. So here's an example of that. If we're in chapter 4, verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are asleep. And of course, asleep is uh, just a word for they've died, right? It's okay. just another way of saying that. 
that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. So what might be happening in Thessalonica that would cause Paul to say that, right? Yeah. People have died and they're, they're worried about that. Mm-hmm. But Paul is saying, you don't have to respond in the same way as those who have no hope. No hope in a resurrection, no hope in a second coming, things like that. You can answer it differently. Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, with that second coming, right? So these are, these are people who died firm in the faith. It, it might be early in their church experience, but they've died in the, in the faith. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, this verse is one of those places where the King James just makes it a little bit difficult. And that's because the word prevent for us means stop it coming, right? But in King James English, it means to proceed, right? Okay. So that which are alive when Jesus comes shall not precede them which are asleep. So it's this idea that when Jesus comes with his second coming, the people who have died in their congregation will be raised up Mm -hmm. to meet him. Um, And this is what we talk about in terms of the first resurrection. They'll be part of the first resurrection. And so Paul is saying to the people, don't worry about what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. What's more important about what's going to happen to you? Mm-hmm. Are you going to live a life that you will be prepared to participate in the first resurrection like them? I think of how mind-blowing it must have been for these saints who have been saints for three weeks to understand, yeah. wait, we all get to be together again. And I think I take for granted what an incredible truth that is, mm-hmm. yeah. even today, yeah. you know? You know, one of the ways that I love that Paul teaches there, as we mentioned before earlier, he, he teaches with, with so much love. I think even just the, the fact that he writes so many letters, he's not just checking a box. Okay, I went and did my missionary work. Right. You know, he's following up. Yet in that love, he, he does tell them some hard things. He gives them some advice. What are some of the things that we can learn from the way that Paul teaches because he loves these people so much? I love in chapter two, verses 11 and 12, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, mm-hmm. that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And he is just giving them the big picture. Like mm-hmm. you guys are incredible. I love you like a dad loves you. And you have been called to God's kingdom and glory. Like. Doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that make you want to be a part of it? Doesn't it make you want to join with Mm -hmm. Paul and even trust him because he sees so much good in you? I think about saints for three weeks. They've got a past, right? And he's not seeing that past. He is saying, this is who you are now and this is who I project you can be. And I just, as he says, as a father, Mm -hmm. right? So my mind immediately went to our parenting. And do we see our children, not for who they were, but who they are now and who they can be. And then do we help them understand that? Do we manifest that to them, that this is who you were born to be? And I I love Paul's example there. And I like the kind of the context leading up to that in verse eight, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, 
but also our own souls because you were so, and the word here, dear, is agape, because you were so loved by us. And so that sets up very nicely that idea of Paul isn't checking a list. You're absolutely right. I have given everything, everything that I am to help you and to teach you and to help you move along in your eternal progression. The way Paul teaches, it's always coming from a place of love. Do you feel at times there can be a struggle in knowing when to make the correction because we love our kids and we don't want to cause a rift in relationship? What are some of your thoughts on that, Brooke? Well, one of the chapters that I loved was in chapter two, verse four, he says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. That hit me pretty hard because sometimes as a parent, I just want to be liked and I want things to be fun and happy and not have contention. And I remember a time when one of my sons was coming home from school and he was walking in the door and he was going directly upstairs and getting on a video game. And it bugged me, but I just didn't want to, I wanted to be flattering. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be liked. And so I just thought, I'm not gonna say anything. And finally, I just got that feeling like you're going to have to say some unflattering Mm -hmm. words. And I just said, hey, you know, when you come home, I need you to stop. I need you to have a conversation with me. The interesting thing is, is that it was better for me, but it was also better for him. And I think our kids need boundaries and Mm -hmm. rules. We as humans need boundaries and rules because those create trusting relationships. The thing that I love about this epistle is, Paul was fun and he was liked and he was loved because they understood themselves and God better through him. Yeah, I think that God thinks of this mortality as a test, right? And he didn't ever expect it to be easy for us. This comes back to our discussion on work. We're meant to work and labor to develop discipleship. Mm -hmm. And discipleship comes from the word discipline, right? And I love this idea of discipleship in the sense of that there are costs that we have to weigh up if we're going to be a disciple in its fullest sense of the word. So a mathetes or a disciple was someone who chose to study with the master teacher for as long as it takes until they became as him. And I think that that's what discipleship is about when God is inviting us to come follow him is realizing that Jesus is the master teacher and we're not. We see a very small landscape of our earthly experience and what's good and what's bad and what we should and what we shouldn't do. And somewhere we've got to learn to sit back and trust that he sees the big picture. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in John's gospel, that's what Jesus is doing. He's coming down to earth to help earthly people raise their sights to see as he sees, to get this eternal picture. So when it comes to what you're saying here in terms of helping people to learn and grow, that doesn't happen so much when we're comfortable. It comes when we're pushed and we're told that we, that we, we don't stay the same. Mm-hmm. We don't stay in plateaus. We've got to continually be moving in our personal discipleship and commitment. I think President Nelson has done that mm-hmm. quite a bit lately. And he's getting us uncomfortable. And right. our first instinct maybe is like, that's hard and I don't want to do that. And then when we take that challenge and follow through, there's significant blessings. Yeah. 
for us. I know that a few years ago when they asked the youth to do the social media fast, <laughs> I was there too. And yeah, that was too. a hard thing for me, especially yeah. because it's something that I do for work, but I took the challenge to do it. And I saw those blessings in my life. And I think when we take that challenge and as the saints take his challenges to, to love better, yeah. And to, I mean, we have a whole list at the end of um, Second Thessalonians of the things he's asking mm -hmm. them to do. And, and we know we're blessed when we follow the prophet, so. And even when the savior is teaching, he teaches, he does that all the time. Yeah. You know, when he calls uh, Simon and Andrew, you know, he says, look, you know, take, take your net and throw it on the other side. It's like, wait, what, what, what do you- Why on what earth do you, would I do that? Why would I do that? Yeah. We've been fishing all night, nothing's working. Right. It's that same method of why am I doing this? And it's like, well, mm -hmm. well come and see. Let, let me show you the result of yeah. what I'm trying to teach you early on. And there could be that pushback of asking people to do difficult things in order to help them improve and grow. Yeah. Well, I love the way that Paul does it in chapter five. Ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. And that day is the second coming. Second coming. Yeah, right. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleepeth in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And I just feel like he's just building these saints. Yeah. And as we build the people around us, you know, as we do hard things, let's give them a why. Yeah. We've got to make the gospel exciting, mm -hmm. something that people want to be a part of, whether you're a missionary or a parent or a teacher. I just feel like oftentimes we talk about the gospel as quiet and something you just have to do. Oh, yeah. I, I have to go to church. I have to do my ministering rather than, I get to go be fed by the Spirit for two hours. I get to do this calling that is giving me a new talent mm -hmm. that I never thought I would have. Yeah. I get to go minister to this person and I get to connect with them and love them just like Jesus wants to love them. And when our kids and our students and the people in our life see us loving the gospel, see the gospel exciting us in this way, they would have to have a really good reason not to want to at least try it. Right. I don't know that they'd want to always be a part of it, but at least try it, especially when it comes from so much love and joy. Yeah, so that's that idea of having this, this fire within your soul yeah. about what this gospel is all about. And so in that case, I also love here where Paul in chapter five is going to say, rejoice evermore. Always rejoice, even in the bad times, we can do that. In everything, give thanks. Now, I was wondering how the saints would be thinking about that. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to give thanks to you because we're being persecuted right. now, right? I we want to give thanks because my family member was killed in all of this. I have struggled with, and I've mentioned this before, but mm -hmm. I I, it's hard for me sometimes to think, thank God that I'm single and that I don't have a family and that I don't have children. And, and how do I rejoice in that situation, which is very different from a lot of other people, but I'm certainly not alone. But there is power in thinking, what can I do to help build the kingdom because these are my circumstances? Mm -hmm. And how can I find a way through and recognize and feel the gratitude for God for the opportunities that are mine? A scripture that I love is um, that everything works for our good for them that love God. Mm -hmm. 
And I think as I, I read this and think about their circumstances and think of hard circumstances that we've all been in that don't feel very, we don't feel very grateful for in the moment, you know, every command we're given is because He loves us. And I think as we turn to gratitude, then we find peace, we find hope, we find purpose. And that's ultimately what He wants for us. He's not saying, be grateful in these circumstances just because I want you to honor me. Mm -hmm. He's saying, be grateful because it changes yeah. you. And one thing when you were sharing, Brooke, uh, some of these verses in chapter five, I love the, it's a small two-letter word that He uses, um, us. He includes himself. Mm -hmm. He's saying, let us watch and be sober. And I think there's, there's power uh, in, in, in what he's trying to do to help them know that, look, I'm a part of this as well. And uh, in verse 25, pray for us. What does that mean, do you think, to, to the people, the fact that Paul would ask them to pray for him? How can that build them up as well as Paul? I think anytime we can unite, for each other mm -hmm. and, and remind each other that we're on the same team, whether that's in your award or in your class or in your family, like we need each other. Praying for those who are, you know, above you mm -hmm. in leadership positions or maybe as a parent, yeah. that's really powerful for the people who think the person who has it all actually needs them. And I think it changes the group that you're in, families, yeah. wards, whatever it is that, that everyone's really needed. Yeah, I've certainly had some experiences at times where, um, you know, I try and be fairly open in my class and, and, and also vulnerable. And uh, over the years, I have had students just drop me a note um, and uh, just say, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I'm praying for you and your success and the things that you're going through. And uh, that also has been very, very powerful to me. And I think you mentioned that sense of community book. And uh, I think it's really important that we don't underestimate the power of community. I feel like that's what Paul was trying to teach right. these people so early on, that it's not just, even in the beginning, he said, you're doing a really good job. You're doing those basic things, but you need each other. Yeah. You're not loving each other like you need to. And I think the more we can look to him in all of our relationships, who are we not loving? Who mm -hmm. needs to be brought in? You know, who's getting left behind? You know, Paul was left behind for a while. And he also says, I am the chiefest of the sinners. Yeah. So there's that sense of his need for the atonement of Jesus Christ, but also that collective help. You know, I had a question about uh, verse 22. This is something that we hear a lot uh, as we talk about among Latter-day Saints, we bring it up a lot. And I don't know if we specifically know that this is where it comes from. In verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Sometimes I may have been guilty of misinterpreting that. What are some of your thoughts as Paul is trying to teach about what we are trying to build and what Paul is trying to teach them to build? Well, the verb there in, in, in the Greek means all kinds of evil. Okay. So it's a little bit more specific okay. than, than the appearance of it. But I don't think that it's a wrong principle, mm -hmm. right? But how is your choice going to impact others? I was thinking about um, Samson. Yeah. And he actually broke a lot of covenants yeah. before he cut his hair. <laughs> but he was kind of still skating by. And then he cut his hair and he was coming out and saying, I'm not a part of this anymore. Right. And everyone can see it. I'm no longer a covenant person. And when you were talking about that, I thought sometimes it's about more than just us. It's about community 
as a whole and where that takes their spirituality. And it brings us back again to the idea of this agape, that kind of love there. For Paul, the issue is love isn't about knowledge. Love is about doing the things that edify, that build people up rather than tear them down. Mm. That's what love is. That's what God's love is about. You know, as we wrap up this conversation, which has been wonderful, Gay, I want to give you a, a final thought on a main message that Paul is trying to teach the saints. Okay, so I think I'd like to return to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. This, in, in English, weariness has a particular sense. I'm tired and those kind of things. But the Greek word here is, is a little bit different. It has a different nuance. And uh, Paul is going to use exactly the same word in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, which I think kind of gives us a, a sense of what he means when he uses it. Let us not be weary in well-doing. So that weary is the same word in Greek. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So in this sense, weary is, is, is not about tiredness per se. Weary is about don't give up if you don't see the immediate fruits of what you're doing. Don't become discouraged because you're doing good things and you've, we've got to have faith and trust and confidence that God sees the end from the beginning, that he sees that big picture and that even though it's difficult for us and even if we can't see, the value of it, he does. So hang on there, keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't lose hope. Thank you. And Brooke, I, I love what you do to help and build uh, specifically youth and teens. What drives uh, this uh, passion that you have for, for helping to uh, this younger generation to improve and learn uh, some of the, maybe those old principles that, that we rely on so heavily? Yeah, as I was reading, it's just a love and a desire for them and, and especially parents too, to understand mm -hmm. who they are and the role they play and that we don't have to be weary, that things might not work out right away, but that what we're doing is good and of God and will be rewarded later. Um, but this was just a reminder that the gospel is joy and good and love and excitement even when everything's going wrong. And that's why, that's why it's worth staying, staying close to the Savior. Well, thank you both for, for sharing and your insights and, and your testimonies. It's been a wonderful, enjoyable conversation. So thank you both. And for those at home, thank you for joining us in this discussion from First and Second Thessalonians. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions that you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we'll study the letters sent from Paul to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon and explore spiritual dangers, salvation by the grace of God, and more. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.